Welcome to week number two in our series. We kicked it off last week called Relationship Goals. Just really practical, biblical uh, principles and advice that we can apply to really any and every relationship uh, that you and I have that they can actually go from good to great, maybe from bad to good, uh, and, and really help us to navigate and have the type of relationships that we were created for, that God so very much wants for you uh, and, and for me. Uh, listen, I want to give a big shout out to all our Poughkeepsie Valley family. We love you guys. One church, multiple locations. All of you joining us online this past weekend. There was almost 350 devices that tuned in uh, to, to listen to our first message in this series. And I want to let you all know, uh, make plans to catch next week's message. My wife Susie and I, uh, we're going to tag team, teach that message together, bringing in an expert. She's an expert. I'm just an amateur. She's a professional. And uh, uh, we're going to be d- drilling down deeper into some of these marriage issues. And I hope that if you're not married that you also join us because you know what? A marriage relationship is supposed to represent the relationship between Jesus Christ and his church. So even if you're uh, single again or single, uh, you don't say, I'm never going to be married. You know what? It's going to be incredibly beneficial to you as well, just in understanding some of these relational principles between you and Jesus Christ, between the church and Jesus Christ. So that's next week, uh, as my wife Susie is going to be joining me. I'm real excited about that because she's, she's awesome. She really is, and uh, so uh, really looking forward to that. Today I want to talk about something that really affects every one of our relationships. You hear a lot about this, and I've been doing some study on it, and I came across this incredible book called The Entitlement Cure. That's what the message title is today, The Entitlement Cure. This is by Dr. John, John Townsend, and I love the subtitle of this book, Finding Success at Work and in Relationships in a Shortcut World. Finding success at work and in relationships in a shortcut world. And I thought this would just be a great addition to or part of our series called Relationship Goals. So I want to talk about the entitlement cure. And this is going to be kind of, I guess you say, the Cliff Notes version of this book. But I really want to encourage you to pick up this book as I've been studying. I've been you know, doing some research on my own, listening to some podcasts, uh, picked up the book as well. Uh, because it's incredible how much imp- entitlement affects every one of us, and could I put it this way, infects most of us. And uh, boy, it's really kind of great to, to be able to listen to a book or, or watch a, uh, you know, a message like this, listen to uh, a podcast, read a book, and, and really allow God to just uh, uh, allow you to, to just look at your heart. It's a little self-reflection because I think there's a lot more entitlement in each of us than we want to admit, and just let God do what he wants to do uh, through this whole idea, this concept of the entitlement cure by Dr. John Townsend, just really fantastic. So uh, let me just set up kind of the background of this message this way. You know, being a pastor, uh, going on over 29 years now, starting around that bend of, of, of the 30-year mark, uh, that, um, you know, I, I've seen an awful lot o- over almost three decades of, of ministry and, of course, my own personal uh, life and relationships as well. Uh, one of the saddest things that I've seen through the years is, is couples divorce uh, when, when really they, they could have been, those, that marriage could have been healed, uh, but for one reason or another, uh, 
they chose not to, they chose to step out of it. And uh, I actually know someone real close to me. Uh, uh, she divorced her husband, and uh, it wasn't because he was unfaithful. It wasn't because he wasn't a tremendous provider for her, just, just provided everything for her and for their children. The stated reason that she gave was, he just doesn't adore me the way I deserve to be adored. That's a true story. I don't even know what that means. He doesn't adore me the way I deserve to be adored. That was the reason. And, and now she's in a second marriage, and uh, sadly, he doesn't adore her the way she deserves to be adored either, and that second marriage is now on the rocks. And, and see, that, that kind of language, the way I deserve to be adored, the way I, what I deserve, that's entitlement language. And the reality, reality is entitlement is a relationship killer. I mean, it kills relationships. It kills families. It kills marriages. It kills churches. It kills businesses. Entitlement, a sense of entitlement. We hear a lot about it today. All kinds of you know, generational studies, millennials and Gen Xers and boomers and all this. And which one is more entitled than the next and, and all this. But the reality is most of our relationships have an element of entitlement in them. And so it's almost like a time bomb just ticking, waiting to go off to just kill that relationship. No matter if it's professional relationship, if it's a real personal one like a marriage, if it's a parent-to-child relationship or friend-to-friend, entitlement just kills relationships. And so there's two basic elements or attitudes of entitlement. If you have your Valley app, I encourage you to go ahead and open that up, and you want to follow along. We're going to be looking at a lot of biblical uh, scriptures, a lot of biblical principles, because John Townsend actually is a Christian uh, a psychologist, and, and, all, and, uh, and it's just amazing how he connects it with God's Word. And uh, two basic attitudes of entitlement. This is, entitlement says things like this. Here's the two foundational kind of ideas. I am exempt from responsibility. People who are entitled cannot take responsibility when they do something wrong. Words like, I'm sorry, very, very difficult. I was wrong, hardly ever mentioned. If you have a struggle, you know, it kind of reminds me of, remember that show Happy Days with Fonzie? And Fonzie could never say he was wrong. He would go, I was that's a sense of entitlement. Folks that are entitled, I am exempt from responsibility. It's everyone else's fault, but it's certainly not mine at all. Very, very difficult to take responsibility for anything. And then here's the second attitude, basic attitude of entitlement. Are you ready for this? I am owed special treatment. I deserve special treatment. I'm the exception to every rule. That's a sense of entitlement. And th these two attitudes kill relationships. Kill relationships. As John Townsend said, kill them at work, kill them in a all kinds of relationships in a shortcut world. Contrast those two attitudes of entitlement. We're going to get to the cure in a minute because it affects and infects so many of us. 
I am exempt from responsibility. I am owed special treatment. Contrast that with what God's Word says, what the Holy Spirit speaks to you and to me in the Scripture in Romans chapter 12, verse 3. And it says, For by the grace given me, that's the key, we need to walk in God's grace. Grace eliminates entitlement. For the grace, for by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, that includes Craig Williamson and that includes you too. Yeah, I'm talking about you sitting in the front row there at Poughkeepsie, you know, in the middle section. Yeah, you, that's right, it's you, that's it. For the grace given to every one of us, he says to every one of us, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourselves with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. See, there's two different expressions or two different ways that entitlement kind of rears its ugly head. First of all is what it called, you know, global entitlement or, or really John Townsend calls global entitlement. And that is that person, you know, that is so just obsessed with themselves. You know, you're talking to them and they're like, well, you know, they're just going on and on. And then finally they say, well, enough about me. Let's talk about you. What do you think about me? You know, that's just like their, their head is so big. All they can see is themselves. When they walk in the room, they think everybody uh, is watching them and, and, and uh, uh, everyone is just thinking about them as much as they're thinking about themselves. That's kind of global entitlement. That's really huge ego. Uh, but, but then there's also uh, what John Townsend calls pocket entitlement. Pocket entitlement. And that is, it's a pretty normal person, but there's this one area of my life or pocket or, or you know, I compartmentalize my life. But there's one area of my life where I feel like I'm entitled to express myself and there are certain things that are owed me or deserve me. Let me, let me just talk about like pastors for a minute and uh, this is not my pocket uh, really. But you know a lot of pastors have like a reserved parking spot because they think they're special instead of the greatest is the servant among you. No, no reserved parking spots here at Valley. In fact, uh, Sunday mornings I park across the street here in Hopewell and I walk across 82 every morning because I just, I, I, I'm humbled to be the lead pastor of this church. I don't deserve a, a reserved parking spot. I don't need that. I don't want that. But, but a lot of, you know, a lot of pastors, all kinds of sense of entitlement I, I'm due this type of respect. I, you owe me respect. You owe me this. You owe me that. Entitlement. That's entitlement language. But instead we need to think of ourselves not more highly than we ought to. What is God's solution? What is God's solution for entitlement? Well, is doing life the hard way. Not the easy, not looking for the easy way. Because here's the thing. Entitlement seems easy. I'm just going to demand from everybody else that they recognize how precious I am. That's entitlement. That's an entitlement mindset. I'm just going to demand from everyone else. I'm not taking responsibility for myself. Everybody else owes me whatever it is that you feel like someone owes you. Whatever it is. God's solution is doing life the hard way. Making the hard choices. What is, what is the hard way? Well, I think a good definition of the hard way is this, doing what is best rather than what is comfortable to achieve a worthwhile outcome. 
That's what doing life a hard way. That's, that's God's way. Doing what is best rather than what is comfortable to achieve a worthwhile outcome. You know, I've heard it said this way before. I believe it's true. Life is hard, but life is good. It's good when we do it the way God wants it to be done. It's hard. And entitlement seems easy on the front, but when you begin to see relational cords snapping all around us, there's nothing easy about that. And it's self-inflicted wounds. Self-inflicted wounds because of our overblown sense of entitlement. In Isaiah chapter 50, verse 7, I love this, this passage here because really, you know, it's, it's, it's God, it's the Holy Spirit speaking through, even though it's in the Old Testament, this is, this is Jesus' mindset that he had, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, they're, they're all the same, three in one. Look at what it says, because the sovereign Lord helps me, I will not be disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like flint, and I know I will not be put to shame. I love this phrase, set my face like flint. Did a little study on that, uh, a research on that, and that's a pretty interesting phrase. What it literally means to set your face like flint, uh, and, and, and that's really what Jesus did as he got to Jerusalem, and, and he knew what was before him. He was going to be betrayed and uh, you know, tortured and, and, and then crucified, but he set his face like a flint toward Jerusalem, towards God's purpose. And, and, and this is a very interesting phrase when you kind of drill down deep into it in Hebrew. What it means is clinches to, to set your jaw literally for something hard. It's like you're, you're just kind of bracing for something hard. That's what I mean. I set my face like Flynn. It's like set your jaw. It's almost like I'm embracing uh, uh, for impact. You know, I'm getting ready for impact. It's almost like in football, you know, you're going up to make the tackle. And you know, you know, there's going to be an impact there. And no one, no football player runs up to make a tackle with his tongue hanging out of his mouthpiece. I'm going to get his tongue bit off. What do you do? You, you kind of brace for impact. Jesus said, set my face like flint. I brace for the impact, for the difficulty of life because life is hard and so I have to kind of prepare for it and that's what God's solution is doing life the hard way it's really the good way the hard way is the good way set his face like flint so real practical now I, I want to share with you uh, again from John Townsend's book, and, and I'm not doing it justice, I know, in just one sermon like this, but I wanted to give you some of the guts of it. I really encourage you to, to pick that up and know I don't get a kickback or, or anything like that. I just want to pass it on because it's fantastic information that will transform your relationships uh, more than listening to me will. Uh, so four healthy habits that can help us to change. This is the, this is the entitlement cure that can cure us from entitlement. And, and what I want you to do right now is just have the courage not to think about who needs to hear this, but listen to this and apply it to yourself. If you could just do that. Because it'll help your relationships. It's helping my relationships as I understand this more and more. That, that really, you know what, I'm infected with this just as well. Because it's part of uh, the human nature that's not the nature of God. It's not the way he wants us to live. 
So four, hab- four healthy habits of change. Here's the first one. Uh, first, change I deserve to I am responsible. Just make that mental shift from I deserve, you owe me, I deserve, to I'm responsible for. Now, this is huge. This is a huge, huge. Let, let me just make it clear. When we say, I deserve, or we think in our minds, I deserve, we need to understand that is a dangerous phrase to ever think or say, I deserve, or to think, you owe me. You know, kids, oftentimes, I deserve an iPhone. (laughs) Really? Based on what? All the other kids have it. Yeah, so? I deserve this. You owe me this, mom and dad. You know, 16-year-olds, I deserve to get my license. Really? So much entitlement. I, I deserve, you, you know, this opportunity. I, I deserve this, this exception to the rule. All of that is a sense of entitlement, and it's dangerous, and it wrecks havoc in relationships. I deserve more attention. I deserve to be adored. We need to change I deserve, in our mind, to I am responsible. Think about it for just a minute. This phrase, I deserve, uh, this is what we call a disempowering phrase. It's not an empowering phrase, it's a disempowering phrase. In other words, there's nothing that I can do, you all have to do it for me. I am not responsible for anything. All of you are responsible for making me happy because I deserve to be happy, for promoting me, whatever it is. I deserve is not an empowering thought. It's not an empowering uh, phrase. It's disempowering. It's saying it's all up to someone else and everyone else to give me what is owed. I am absolutely powerless. It's all up to you. That's what I deserve says. I have no power. I have no influence. I have no ability. It's all up to you to do for me because I can't, I'm powerless. I have an inability to do anything on my own. I deserve. It's not based on merit. It's not based on anything. It's just simply an entitled mindset. It's all up to you to do what's going to make me happy. In contrast to that, I'm responsible I'm responsible when we make that shift, that change in our minds. What that really means is I'm in the driver's seat. It's up to me. So so think about this. Think about the shift. Let me just run this through a little matrix of relationships here. I deserve a job. Someone just knock on my door and hand me a job. Instead, I'm responsible to go get a job big difference there. So what does that mean? I'm getting ready. I'm filling out applications. I'm going to make this happen. I have something to do. I'm responsible. How about this one? I deserve a happy marriage. I deserve a happy marriage. So therefore, my spouse, you have to do whatever it takes to make me happy. You're the happy maker, and I just do nothing. I deserve a happy marriage. That's a sense of entitlement. That's entitlement. The shift, I'm responsible for making a happy marriage. That's a big difference. We're going to drill down into that next week. I'm responsible 
for a happy marriage. In other words, I'm as responsible for a happy marriage as my spouse is responsible for a happy marriage. And there's a lot of things that I can do that can change the whole vibe, the whole feel of the relationship, of the marriage. That's empowering. I'm responsible for my marriage. I'm responsible for the joy or the lack thereof in my marriage, the fun or just the heartbreak. I'm responsible. Entitlement, I deserve for you to make me happy. Whenever we pin our happiness or our joy, whatever it is, positive emotion, on someone else, we're completely helpless. We're completely helpless. And guess what? They'll disappoint us, guaranteed. Guaranteed. Or, I deserve financial security. I just, I deserve that, and it's up to somebody else to figure out how that's going to happen. Or, watch this, I'm responsible with my money for my future financial security. What does that mean? Greg's got to make some financial decisions today. It's not up to anybody else. It's up to my wife and I for our future together, Susie and I. But we make choices today based on not what we may have, one, but what we have right now. What we have right now. I'm responsible. It's not anyone else that's responsible for my financial security. It's me. See, that's empowering. I deserve is disempowering. Very, very interesting. This whole idea of I deserve or I'm responsible for. Uh, Jesus was talking one day in, in, uh, in Luke chapter 17, and, and, uh, and he was telling a story about, you know, when you go out and you do what you're supposed to do just because it's what you're supposed to do, and, and maybe, maybe something, you know, sometimes we feel like, I deserve a pat on the back. I deserve more credit. Somebody give me more credit. Look at what Jesus said here. Luke chapter 17, verse 10. He said, so also, when you've done everything you were told to do, he's talking about work relationship, everything you were told to do should say, we are unworthy servants. We've only done our duty. Like, I'm not looking for a pat on the back. Jesus says, when, when you just do your job, just realize you just did what you were paid to do. You don't deserve anything else. He says, our response should just be, I just did what I was supposed to do. I just did my job. I just did what I'm responsible for. That's, that's just Bible truth penetrating through entitlement. We need to change. I deserve to I'm responsible for. Here's the second one. Habit number two, do the hard things first. Do the hard things first. You, you know, we, we learned this when we were kids, didn't we? You know, when you're sitting there at dinner and uh, uh, what did your mom always say? You know, eat your broccoli, then you can have ice cream. Do the hard thing first. Eat the broccoli or you can't have ice cream, sometimes was told to us. No mom ever says, eat your ice cream first and then you can have broccoli. What? You can't have your broccoli until you eat your ice cream. No mom says that. Do the easy thing first. No parent says, do the easy thing first. What is it? 
do the hard thing first. Listen, it's part of adulting. And, and listen, you, you, you could be a 50 or 60-year-old and you're still a kid because you just want to do the easy thing all the time. You want ice cream first and then the broccoli at the very last minute if I have to. Do the hard thing first. It's so interesting. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 6 gives us an illustration. Proverbs, book of wisdom from God in the Old Testament. Proverbs 6, verse 6, it says this. Go to the ant, you sluggard. It means lazy person here. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. You know, you and I can learn a lot about uh, life, and work ethic, and what God requires and he expects out of all of us from just observing an ant. That's what he says. Just look at the ant and you can get wise. What, what, what does the ant do? Why does God pick out this little ant as a model for growth? Well, think about it. The ant stores up in the spring so that it has food to eat in the fall when there is no food. He stores up in the spring. The ant saves. The ant has a savings account. And there's stuff in it. Because he knows the time's coming when it's not going to be as much around. The ant does this, think about it, without anyone micromanaging the ant. And without anyone cheering them on. Woohoo! You are the best food storer upper ant I've ever seen. He just does it. Why? Because it's the right thing to do. Because it's the wise thing to do. The ant does the hard things. Could I put it this way? The ant doesn't always feel passionate about what he's doing. But he does it simply because it's the right thing to do. God says, look at the ant and learn and become wise. Let the ant, the little, most insignificant creature, one of the little, you know, smallest ones we can see with the eye, you can learn a lot from. And it certainly does not have a sense of entitlement. I'm owed food in the fall, so someone come bring it to me. Someone else, I'm dependent on someone else to do that, to make that happen. You know, sometimes throughout my day, and I've, I've got some hard things to do uh, with, with real regularity. Pastoring is not easy. Uh, that's why the dropout rate is 95% across America, 95%. And uh, even as I'm about to break that 30-year mark uh, in 2020, uh, that, that's you know fractional number of pastors ever pastor that long. One of the things that's got me through is just, uh, I, I heard this and. Uh, Rings true, I haven't actually used these same words, but I'm adopting this as my own, it is the idea of uh, NHT, 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 do the next hard thing. Just in my mind, there's so many times like, okay, I just have to do this. I can't put this off, I just got to do this right now. And I actually heard John Townsend talking about it, he wrote the book. You know, do the next hard thing. What's the next hard thing? Because again, it's not eat breakfast. I mean, eat ice cream first and then the broccoli. Eat the broccoli first. Wash it down with the ice cream. Wash that down. Do the next hard thing. So let me ask you this. How does your daily schedule look like at work? Or, or really when you have your own time? 
They've done studies like this. Studies show that the most successful people do the hard things in a day at the beginning of the day, not at the end of the day. Do the hard things first. And this, it cures a sense of entitlement and actually creates success. Because here's the thing. Once you get the hard thing out of the way on that day, whatever that is, the hardest part of the day, you do that first, then you enjoy the rest of the day. Then you can be creative without that hard thing hanging over your head that's really holding you back from the full attention of creativity or whatever it is that you need to do. The fun part of the day. Do the hard thing first, and you know what? You'll enjoy the rest of the day. But if you do the, the other things, you know what they found? Successful people do the hardest things earliest in the day. Average person, though, you know what they do? They have something hard that's coming sometime during the day, and instead they scroll through their news feed, just wasting time, wasting opportunity. Instead, do the next hard thing. Do the hard thing first. Here's the third habit. Keep inconvenient commitments. Just let your word be your word. Keep inconvenient commitments. I mean, when you really think about it, commitments hold the entire world together. Commitments make the world go round, I guess you could put it that way. Commitments hold the world together. Life is all about commitments. You know, uh, a couple hundred years ago, the Bible, we call it the Old Testament and the New Testament together, 66 books. But, you know, a couple of hundred years ago, they didn't call it the Old Testament and the New Testament. They called it the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. The covenant, going to put it this way, is a commitment on steroids. That's what a covenant is. The Old Covenant is what God promised to the nation of Israel. The New Covenant extends that even further to all those who would receive Christ as their Savior. Not just Jewish people receiving Him as Messiah, but all those outside of the nation of Israel would receive Jesus Christ as their Savior. That's the New Testament, the New Covenant. In fact, when this church was first founded, the, the name of the church was New Covenant Christian Church. And about 20 or so years ago, the name was changed to Valley Christian Church because we don't use that phrase New Covenant much anymore. In fact, maybe you didn't even know it was not the New Testament and the Old Testament, New Testament. It was the New Old Covenant and New Covenant. But covenant, really, commitments commitments hold the world together think about it when two countries are warring with each other and they want to end that war what do they do they sign a treaty that's a commitment we're not going to fight anymore that's a commitment a treaty is a commitment in, in business when uh, there are two businesses and you're like you know what we want to form a partnership together uh, because we can deliver these goods or these services to help these folks and, and and this is something that our customers really desire what do they do they enter into a contract that's a commitment a contract is a commitment in marriage in a christian marriage ceremony man and wife husband wife groom and bride they share vows they vows they give vow 
to one another and to God. They make a vow to God before the bride or the groom, to each other. They speak their vows to one another. What are vows? Commitments. Commitments. The third habit to break entitlement is keep inconvenient commitments. See, entitlement says this, very different than commitment. Entitlement says, I'll keep my end of commitment until something better comes along or until someone better comes along. Can, can you imagine that, you know? It, husband and wife, bride and groom standing in a wedding ceremony and, and the groom says, I promise to love you for better, for worse, sickness and health, richer, for poorer, till we're separated by death, or until some other better-looking woman comes along. Can you imagine that? Who would stand for that? Nobody. Because that's entitlement. That, that's not a commitment. Entitlement says all the time, the language, the thought of entitlement is, I'll keep my end of the commitment until something better comes along. But look at what the Scripture says in Psalm 15. It says, be a person who keeps an oath even when it hurts and does not change their mind. This is what God wants for you and for me. This is hard. This is inconvenient. But life blossoms, and it's amazing the change that comes when we keep an oath even when it hurts. I said I would, and I will. I'm going to keep my word who keeps an oath when it hurts and does not change their mind. Listen, entitlement is fickle. Entitlement just, oh, I feel this way. No, I don't feel that way. Ah, I changed my mind. Ah. God wants us to keep our word. Jesus said, let your yes be yes and your no be no. In other words, when you tell someone yes, our life should be so rock solid that we follow through with our commitments that when we say yes to someone, I will do that, they never have to question it. Whether they're there to see if Greg's going to do that or not. When I say, no, I'm not going to do that, I don't, eh, yeah, I changed my mind, I'm going to do it anyway. Let our yes be yes and our no be no. Be a person who keeps an oath even when it hurts. Because listen, you don't make commitments just as long as it's easy. I'm going to stick right with you. I'm going to stand right by you. As long as it's easy and, and, and you treat me good. That's not a commitment. That's completely conditional. That's entitlement. Who keeps an oath even when it hurts and does not change their mind. You, you know what really helps us to, to keep inconvenient commitments you know, if, if we could just learn to feel empathy for the people that I impact with my broken promises. If we can just remember, you know what? I am responsible and my decisions impact other people. And my broken promises hurt and cause pain to other people. That's why even though it's hard, even though it hurts, I'm not changing my mind. I'm going to keep my word. I'm going to keep my commitment. You know, all you have to do is write, you know, I, I think, well, let me put it this way. Most of us like closure. You know, we always want to have closure in everything. We want to finish the project before we go to the next. We want to get that done. We want to finish that email or reading that before we go on to the next. But, you know, sometimes closure, that desire where we just want to finish what we're doing, what we're working on or whatever before the next thing happens, sometimes it'll cause us to break our word. Like, like 
I, I just have to reply to this one email, but I told my child I'd be at her field hockey game, and if I don't leave now, I'm going to be late, and I told her I'd be there when it started. I gave her my word. If we can just remember how our word, our promise, our commitment impacts those around us when we break it. And you're walking off the field and you say, hey, you played great. You're like, yeah, Dad, but you missed me scoring that goal in the first half. You said you were going to be here. Oh, honey, I'm sorry. I had a lot to do, like read five more emails before I left. Really? See, that's, that's a person that their, their life just revolves around them. Just, just, just around, they're the center of the world. It's entitlement. But if we can have empathy for the people that I impact with my promises or my broken promises, it'll really help us to keep inconvenient commitments. Here's the fourth one, real practical habit here. Fourth habit, engage in service. Engage in service. Happy people are not those who have had everything handed to them on a plate by someone else. That doesn't make you happy. That gives you a greater sense of entitlement. I, I was speaking to a man recently uh, who, uh, long story short, but, but actually is friends with a lot of very, very wealthy entrepreneurs. And uh, he, he told me, he said, one of the wealthiest men that he knows goes, you know what one of the common things is with entrepreneurs, real, real entrepreneurs? Most of them grew up in poverty. Rarely do you find a middle-class person or someone that was born into wealth that really goes on and creates a whole lot more. Very, very rare. But when you have nothing, you're willing to take even a greater risk. He said, almost every really, really wealthy, well-off entrepreneur I know grew up in abject, uh, abject, what's the word? Real tough poverty. <laughs> really, really severe poverty. So engage and serve. Happy people are those who are serving others, who are mentoring others. Watch this now. Helping someone else who has no ability to repay them. No ability to repay them. That there's nothing in it for them except that joy of just helping someone else succeed. That's all that's in it for them. It's not for, they're not getting paid. They're just volunteering. You know, I dare say this. This week here at Valley, so many volunteers that really helped in our summer blast. And they're exhausted right now. And maybe you're, you know, you're one of those watching this online or, or in Poughkeepsie. Thank you so much for all the time, all the energy, all the effort. Impossible without you. But I know something else that happened there. You got that rush, didn't you? That, those endorphins, that rush. You know, it's, it's almost like serving others is like God's Prozac when you really think about it. You, you know, when you just really help uh, someone else out, uh, it's like the healthy reinforcement system. You just get that rush, that joy inside. I coached high school football for 12 years. Nine of those years I was paid. The last three years that I coached at Lord's High School, I actually turned down pay. 
because uh, I just wanted to volunteer, and I wanted to, actually, that they were able to hire an additional coach, and I just volunteered 25 hours a week. And you know what? That was, in some ways, the most fulfilling three years of my coaching, because it wasn't to actually bring in a little bit more cash to the Williamson household. It was just the pure joy of it. I was just there as a volunteer, and, and it just some of the greatest memories that I have and just impact and relationship with the kids, all that stuff, were those last three years that I coached at Lord's High School. You know, I, I think there's something to this. Like I said, it's almost like serving is like God's Prozac in a way. Uh, and, and why would it be different than that? Look at Matthew chapter 20. Just as the Son of Man, that's Jesus, that's one of his titles, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. That's the Jesus way. Jesus came to serve, not to consume. Jesus didn't come with a mindset, I deserve, although he did, he could have, he deserved it all. He didn't deserve, he didn't come with that mindset. He didn't come with that mindset, you owe me. He didn't come with that mindset, don't you know who I am? Don't you know who you're talking to? He came to serve. He came to serve. And, and I think that's why when you and I serve other people and help other people and volunteer, mentor someone else, when they have, there's no way that, that they can return to us for what we've done, I think that's where that joy comes from. I think that's why we have joy, because that's the heart of Jesus. That's the heart of Jesus. I've heard of companies that actually will pay their employees one day a month to go and work somewhere in a charity or not-for-profit, just, just for the, the, the health of it, the mindset of it. Happy people have a good life, and they serve and work to make a good life for someone else. So real quickly now, I want to give you a takeaway, okay, a, a takeaway, a little homework assignment, because a message like this, it's real easy to kind of like, oh, yeah, 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 and maybe we even filled in the blanks on the app, but, but you know what? It's real easy to kind of think new for a moment, and then you go back and you act old, and that entitlement just creeps up again. So here's a homework assignment for you. Ready? Here it is. Here's the takeaway. This week, I choose two of four habits and start living the hard way because that's, the God, that's God's way. This week, I want you to choose two of those four habits, just two of them, not all four, just two of them, and start living the hard way because that's God's way. The hard way is God's way. So maybe it's beginning to change. I deserve to, I'm responsible for. Maybe it's do the hard things first. Maybe it's Keep inconvenient commitments. Or maybe it's engaging in service. This week, make that commitment and you'll begin to bring a death blow to the entitlement. Maybe it's just a pocket in your life. Maybe it's just one area. But you'll be in, begin to bring a death blow. The cure, the entitlement cure in your life. Would you bow your heads with me right now? Let's pray. Father, we just thank you, Lord, for your word that brings us like a mirror. We brings us before like a mirror where we can really begin to see a little bit of what's going on in our lives. Lord, I thank you for John Townsend and, and this book, The Entitlement Cure. And I, I know I really hadn't 
but scratch the surface of all the insight and wisdom that you've given to him. Lord, I, I pray that, that your Holy Spirit just take what we've heard today and, and just that we would spend some time in self-reflection, each and every one of us, not thinking about who needs to hear this, but God, show us a sense of entitlement in our own life. The times when, when our minds when it rears up inside, I deserve, you owe me. That, that overblown sense of our own preciousness. And Lord, help us to make that shift from I deserve to I'm responsible for. Really begin to serve others. And Lord, help us to set our face like a flint, just like Jesus did. That, that we would prepare for impact, knowing that, you know, the right way is, is often the difficult way. But it's the good way. And we need your grace, God. We need your grace to live a life not of entitlement, but a life, Lord, of serving others and helping other people's lives be better. In Jesus' name, amen.